Hey you, welcome back to Anointed Fire. My name is Tiffany Buckner and I want to share something with you that's on my heart right now. And that is be very mindful of how you are toward people, especially children, because they really truly never forget. Doesn't mean that people walk in our forgiveness, but people will always remember how you treat them. And I think about children a lot of times. We look at them as children, and for whatever reason, it is hard for us to conceptualize that those children will someday be adults with their own minds. Some of them are geniuses. Some of them will go on to do great things. Some of them will go on to do toxic and crazy things. We never know the direction a child's life is going to head in. All we see is the child. We see the foolishness that is bound up in a child's heart, and it's hard to see that child past that moment, past that stage, past that season. Consequently, we show our best and our worst selves to children and the reason i'm thinking about this is i literally just sent a text to my aunt this is the one aunt that i have a relationship with on my mother's side of the family and the reason i have such a relationship with her is because this particular aunt let me tell you something first let me before i go into this let me say this I am not a crier. I am not a person that's easy to cry. It's funny. It looks like everybody in my life is always trying to get me to cry, but it is hard for me to cry. But I can genuinely tell you that when somebody like wholeheartedly touches my heart, that person, I feel a lot of passion and love for that person. This aunt happens to be one. This aunt is my mother's baby sister. And my auntie, what I remember about her is I've always noticed patterns, not even patterns, but I've always been able to compare relationships or what have you and I think about some of the aunts that I have like this particular aunt I always compare her with another aunt of mine this aunt is not my mother's sister but this is another aunt of mine and I remember both of them you know they lived out of town and whenever they came in town it was a big difference in how they treated us one of the aunts, whenever she came into town, she treated us so poorly. I literally have a memory from the time I was about five years old. And I know my age because we moved pretty much just every year. But there, there's this one aunt. I remember waking up and my parents' room was across from me and my brother's bedroom. We were in a two-bedroom house and a two-bedroom apartment and I had woke up. And so what I would do every morning whenever I woke up, whenever I came out of my bedroom, my bed was by the door because we had these. It was supposed to be a bunk bed, but my parents had separated them. Mine was directly in front of the door and the door was always open. But whenever I woke up, I would always look straight across the hallway because my parents' room was straight across the hallway. And most of the time or a lot of the time, the bedroom's door was open. And my mom worked so much. And at that time, my dad was working as well. And I didn't know their schedules. You know, you're too young to understand schedules and stuff like that. So anytime I woke up, if, you know, I wasn't being woken up for school, anytime I woke up, I would look directly across the hallway to see who was, you know, see if my parents were in the bed. If they were in the bed, I would run up in there and, you know, I would try to get them up or what have you. I would get really excited whenever I saw them. It's funny, I was independent, but I wanted to see my parents there. So, you know, I woke up one morning and I did my standard. I woke up and I I, I, forget, I would never forget I looked into the room and my eyesight has never been superb. You know, I needed glasses even when I was a kid, but my parents didn't get them because one, I don't know if they knew I needed them. I'm pretty sure they did. But two, my parents couldn't really afford glasses. So anyhow, I walked out of my bedroom and I saw figures 
because you know i i don't see that good from a distance i saw figures in the bed i assumed it was my parents but i just noticed that you know it looked a little bit different so i stood in my bedroom door literally i stood there now this is an apartment it's not that big and i'm standing there and i started wiping my eyes like a little kid does again i was five years old I start wiping my eyes because I'm trying to get my eyesight to clear up a little bit. And at the same time, I just woke up. So you, I'm probably feeling madder. I'm probably st and I'm, I stand there and I start staring. And then I hear this aunt's voice. And this isn't the, the aunt that I'm talking about that I have such a heart for. But this is an aunt that I really don't have a relationship with. I hear her voice. And... I noticed that, you know, I see a figure behind her and I, my, as my eyesight clears up, I can see better. I can see there is a man behind her and he's moving. I see him behind her. She got, she's got her face. She's facing me. She's facing the door, but he's behind her and he's completely oblivious to the fact that I'm standing there. So I could assume, I think I realize now that they were having sex, but they would, you know, in that particular position. So she saw me standing there and I think she thought I was just enjoying a porn show when I wasn't. I was literally just standing there because I couldn't see, you know, and I was trying to see if that was my parents. I just kind of felt like that don't look like my parents. So I heard the aunt's voice. She said, bring your A here. And I walked up or what have you. And I realized I was in trouble because I didn't know. First and foremost, they weren't supposed to be in my parents bed. Right. But my parents were not at home. They were at work. So I walked up. And this particular aunt, she grabs a, uh, she said, give me your hand. And she grabbed a comb off of the nightstand and she started, she made me ball my hand up. She started beating my knuckles with the comb. And I started crying. I was crying. I walked out the room and I had just woken up. Literally, I didn't know what I had done wrong. Growing up, I knew that she was no fan of my mother's children. I remember all the time she gossiped about us and all of those crazy things. And I, growing up, I never understood why my parents tolerated her. I never understood that because it was very clear. Like she had such a negative disposition toward our family, toward our, my mom's children and stuff like that. She had such a negative disposition. Another thing I remember, I remember was over the years, she would, over the years, what she would do was whenever she came into town, she would eat like if she came in she would eat our food she would even you know she'll eat our food up but then she would always make it a point to say uh that's my food whenever she put something in the refrigerator again i was young but i was smart enough to know that that wasn't right i remember one particular time she came into town and you know she had her kids and everything and i went into i had woke up in the morning and i was a teenager at this time woke up in the morning and I smell, or probably woke up in the afternoon, but I smell food. <laughs> and you know, you're a kid, you're a teenager, your appetite is through the roof. I smell food. I know they're in town or what have you. I smell food. And I walk into the living room thinking, okay, we're about to eat good. And when I go into the living room, I see into the dining room, I see her and her kids sitting at the table eating KFC. And she made a comment. She was like, this is just for my kids. It's just for my children. And I didn't say a word. I just said, okay. So I went to the refrigerator to try to find myself something to eat. And that was that. 
I never understood why my mom tolerated that behavior. You know, growing up, as I started to get my voice, as I started to get more of my identity. As a matter of fact, I take that back. When I was a kid, I would talk to my mom like, that's not right. You know, mom, you you allowing people. And mom would, my mom would always say, well, you know, family, you know, sometimes people just got problems. And I'm like, I don't care about that. At the end of the day, that's not right. So that particular aunt, I didn't develop a heart for her because she didn't have a heart for us. The other aunt, my mom's baby sister, she has always been different. She would come in from out of town. And every time she came in, even though, you know, she's an adult, she never distinguished us from her children. She never made me feel like I was not her relative. She never made my brother feel that way or my sister feel that way. She never did that. One of the things I remember every time she came into town, every time she would do like most people when they come into town there, you know, they're going to eat or what have you. My mom would cook or what have you because, you know, you're in Mississippi. You want to have a home cooked meal. But there were times because my mom worked two jobs, she would go out to eat. And I remember she would call me into the living room because I pretty much lived in my bedroom. She would call me into the little bit in, into the living room. She said, Tiffy with Tiff. And I come up in there. She said, uh, I'm about to head to McDonald's. Or I'm about to head here. Uh, what do you want? And then she called my brother, and my sister. She's like, what do y'all want? Or what have you? She never said you can get a small burger. She never said any of those things. And, you know, as a teenager, I, I'd be like a Big Mac combo and a Coke. And she said, okay. And she asked my brother. She always did that. Always, always. And it was those small things that I never forgot. It was those tiny things. And I think it was because I saw a difference and how she treated me versus how my other aunts and uncles treated me. I saw a big difference in how she was. And I don't even say un uncles because, for example, my uncle Mannix, uh, God rest his soul, whenever he came into town, he was like that. He would always make sure that, you know, he, he cooked, he took care of us. A lot of times he didn't go out to eat when he came into town. I remember that. Uh, he didn't he didn't go out to eat. Most of the time, my mom was working two jobs whenever he came into town, even though he was struggling financially, he would always go to the store. I remember he loved to buy pork steak and I was not a fan of pork, but he would go to the store. He would go into that kitchen and he would cook and then he wake me up. He'd be like, hey, y'all come up in here and eat. Get up so y'all can go ahead and eat. Go up and get up so y'all can go ahead and eat. I had another uncle. I couldn't stand him. Um, I remember him every time he, he never would do anything. He would just kind of he just took, he just kind of felt like he needed to take whatever he needed, to, you know, whenever he came into town or what have you, he needed somewhere to stay and he was just going to eat and he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to buy nothing and he wasn't going to do anything or what have you. And I remember him, one thing I couldn't stand about him, he was the uncle that thought everything was funny. And, um, like if my mom went and got Big Macs for everybody, he would always come up to us and he, you know, take our, he, he'd say, hold up, hold up before you bite that. And he was, you know, do stuff in a joking way. So it wasn't necessarily offensive, but it was offensive at the time. And he would do stuff in a joking way. He'd be like, I got to taste that to make sure it ain't poison. And I'm like, no, he's like, just one bite, just one bite, just one bite. And I remember he would grab each one of our Big Macs. He'd get mine first. And he would darn there bite it in half. And I started crying because the majority of my Big Mac was gone or a large portion of my Big Mac was gone because he didn't take no normal bite. He would make sure he, he wrapped his whole mouth around the hamburger and took as big of a bite as possible. But going back to this particular aunt, you know, I just text her, what have you, and I was telling her, hey, I got you down as my emergency contact information for everything. And when I wrote, when I was texting her that, I started feeling like tears welled up. And I just felt this gratitude towards her. Because like I said, 
She has always been very compassionate toward us, always loving or what have you. She never made us feel like we were, you know, like we my mom kids and we just mistakes or we bad or we this and we that. She never feel, made us feel like that, even though my mom did have some troubled kids. My mom did have some trouble. My sister stayed in trouble. My brother stayed in trouble. In front of me, I just stayed out the way. <laughs> I stayed out the way. Oh, what have you? So both, both my sister and my brother were juvenile delinquents. They were just acting out. Me, on the other hand, I just wasn't with it all. I just stayed in my room or I would be over to one of my friends' house. My house, Our house is just very dramatic. But like I said, my brother and my sister, there's no person, none of us that will say anything bad about that particular aunt. Every time if we have a discussion about that particular aunt, it's going to always be 100% good because, again, that particular aunt has always 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 been there for us always and i remember uh my mom before she passed my mom passed in 2018 my mom before she passed you know she was talking to this particular aunt all the time and this is the one you could tell she had such a heart for her and she trusted her so much you know she just has so much trust and so much love and that's her baby sister but she has so much trust and so much love for her and you know it was mutual or what have you and um when my mom was, you know, getting, when she was in the latter years, my mom, a lot of the stuff that I had said when I was a kid, what have you, my mom been seeing it. And my mom started communicating, like she started telling us, and which was frustrating. She would let us know like who she didn't want around us. But then, you know, when the people tried to come around, she's like, oh, no, 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 they could come around. I'm like, mom, stop playing. Uh, because my mom started feeling like, you know, she was fighting for her life or what have you. She, you know, in a moment like that, um, any person wants to be careful who's close to them. You know, want to make sure that the person that's close to them is not looking at them in the wrong way. You know, want to make sure everybody that's close to them is literally praying for them and trying to fight for their life and what have you. So I'm not going to get into all that, but that was the one person my mom trusted. That was the one person my mom, you know, trusted. I don't care how much, how, how out of her mind she got. That was the one person that she never forgot and that she remembered the whole time. I'm saying that to say, be very mindful of how you are towards children because they're going to grow up at some point. And when they grow up, they're going to remember how you treated them. They're going to remember how you made them feel. And one thing about it is you got to understand that we're in a new generation. And what I mean by that is that we're no longer under this thing where just because you're a family, we got to deal with you. I'm one of the people that broke that curse in my family. That curse started being broken when I was a kid. My mom kept talking to me when I was a kid, trying to get me to go into that mindset because she did not understand why I wasn't family oriented. She didn't understand why I was sitting up there like, uh, uh, bump that family or no family. If they're going to treat you like that, I ain't related to them. She didn't understand my attitude or my position towards family. But you know what? I realized now that was a part of my wiring. That was a part of my anointing coming into play. That was a part of who I am in Christ coming into play. My mom didn't see that. My mom didn't understand that because my mom had been always taught family's family. So she kept some really toxic, broken people around her that, Honestly, genuinely, many of them didn't wholeheartedly care for her. You know, they didn't care for her. And she knew that. But my mom was just one of those people who of your family. That's just where you are, you know, and I'm still going to love you. And that sounds Christian. And I, I, I can understand that. And I can kind of partially agree with it. I can say that's where you are and I'm going to love you. But I also, my, this is where me and my mom differ. 
I don't have to fool with you. I can love you from a distance. I'm not going to bring people into my life that I do not trust. You know, I, it's very similar to, I remember when I was, um, married and my ex, you know, he had this relative of his, this young relative, this nephew of his that, you know, he had a problem with being rogue, meaning he liked to steal stuff. And, um, at one point he was about to have to come to live with us. And I told my ex, I said, listen, I'm not playing these games because I'm not going to, I'm not about to have a bunch of stuff coming up missing in my house. And he's going to be sitting up here lying. I'm, I'm not playing these games. And I said, you know, I don't want to have anybody in my house that we cannot trust. So we talked about it and we came up with this agreement. Okay, he can come, he family. But remember, I'm not that family oriented. You know, I'm not that type of person that feel like I got to fool with you just because we in the same family. I have a different perspective of that. I think I have to love you. I think I have to be there if you need me. And what I mean by need me, I'm not talking about I got to give you tangible goods. I'm not telling I'm not talking about I got to give you my resources, nor do I have to give you my time. I'm talking about I need to be available to pray for you. And if you genuinely want to be encouraged, then I can avail myself to be to encourage you. But I don't have to give you the address to my house. I don't have to invite you into my space. I don't have to I don't have to do anything but for you but to love you. That's according to the Bible. Oh, no, man, nothing but to love them. And I think that that's the problem with a lot of people now is that we are in the a lot of people are in these slave agreements with their families where they have gone under the bondage of. Uh, this definition of family, meaning that you got to, to you got to tolerate these people. You got to let them come into your house and molest your children. You got to let them come into your house and steal from you. You got to let them come into your house and, and gossip about you and, and destroy your children and all of that stuff. And that is erroneous. It's, and it's one of the reasons why there are so many broken and toxic people to this day. I always said, if I had children of my own, one thing that would not happen is I would not subject my children to a lot of my family. Period. Point blank. It does not mean that I think I'm better than them because I don't. It simply means that I know better. I'm not going to raise my kids to be traumatized. I'm not going to put my children in situations that I know they're being traumatized in. And then I got to sit there and just say, well, that's just family. <laughs> that's just family. No, the devil is a lie. I think like this. I, I, I follow along with Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers? Those who do the will of God. I'm saying that to say. One, be mindful of how you treat people, especially kids, because they will never forget it. But two, think about that in, in ministry as well. Be careful how you treat babes in Christ. You know, because it's crazy to me is that when you're a babe or what have you, people can treat you wrong because when you're a babe, you still smell like the world. You still look like the world. You still sound like the world. And it's easy for a person to come in contact with you and assume that you're stuck. And when people think you're stuck, they think you're a nobody. When they think you're not going anywhere, they think that you'll never do anything great in your life. Then they show you their fangs. They show you their hand. They show you how um, crazy and narcissistic and toxic they are. They show you how unchristian they are. But those same people, when they see the hand of God on your life, when they see that they could not hold you back, when they see that there was nothing that they could do to sabotage you, those same people will turn around and paint a mask on their face and try to present themselves differently and then pretty much demand and use Christian needs to say, hey, you're supposed to love us. Yes, I do. But I don't have to tolerate you. I don't have to have a relationship with you. I have to love you. And so that means that for me, I believe who you are and I adjust my expectations accordingly. You know, I've been talking about this for years and I came across a clip of, of uh, not a possible bishop T.D. Jakes talking about this 
Uh, I came across this clip yesterday and he was talking about, you know, like, for example, whatever you don't do, he adjusts his expectations. I've been saying that for years. I adjust my expectations to how you treat me, not just in my high place, in my low place. I adjust my expectations to that because that's the real you. When I'm in my low place, when I'm a baby, because you're going to be a baby in some areas, you can be mature in other areas. You know, you are a multifaceted, multidimensional creature. So you can be a babe in some areas and a mature adult in other areas. And for me, how you show me in the areas where I'm a babe, that's what I believe about you. I don't believe what you show me in the areas where you feel like I'm an adult, where you feel like I'm I'm a benefit to you. I don't, I don't believe that face. I believe in how you treat me and everything that you do. I believe that's what you do. You know, I believe that about you that right there. That's called faith. I have faith. That's called trust. I trust what you show me. I trust your pattern not your words. And I've learned, and this is why I say there are benefits to trauma because people can call that trauma. And this is one of the things I've learned too, is people always try to make you feel like it's your trauma that makes you look at life this way. It's your trauma to make you, and I can agree to an extent, but another st- another way uh, I look at it is though, no, it's not always trauma. Trauma made you wise. If you heal from the trauma, trauma made you wise. Trauma made you stop thinking that a person that treated you bad is all of a sudden going to start treat, treating you good. And now that person has changed. That's not the way that it works. People show you their, they show you their true hand when they feel like you uh, can't benefit them. Like, for example, if I was an old lady and I needed somebody to take care of me, and, you know, I it, I was of no benefit or if I didn't have a voice, I couldn't communicate what you were doing. I mean, you would show me your true self. If you happen to be a good person, you would take good care of me. You know, regardless of what you felt like you can or could not benefit from me, you would take good care of me. You would speak good to me. I don't care how grumpy I get. You would speak good to me. You would treat me well. If you had to put me up in a nursing home because, you know, I was a little bit too much for you, you would try to put me up in the best nursing home. You would check in on me. You would talk to them and say, hey, listen, she's a good person. You know, this, that, this than the other but if you're not a good person you would show me that right there in that moment you would treat me like crap because I don't have a voice I think about my dog you know my dog that's my baby right and God sees how I treat him in the background because it's not what you do in the foreground forget that it's not what you do in front of people it's how you treat me in the background or how you treat anything any person any living thing even the plants in your house how you treat stuff in the background do you cuss it out and I think about how I treat my dog and my dog I treat him like a I treat him like he's my child you know I treat him and when I say let me make sure I make a distinction because some people treat their children bad uh, but what I mean by that is I treat my dog with so much love you know he gets hugs and kisses and I make sure that he's okay and I'm always making sure that you know do you need to go out do you need this do you need that I'm always making sure that he feels better when we're in the middle of a thunderstorm uh, I will oftentimes take a you know take a moment out and sit on the floor with him because he goes to trembling if he had a voice, which he will someday, I believe, you know, when, when we get to heaven, I believe, you know, they can communicate, uh, honestly. But if we're standing before God and my dog had to testify on my behalf, I don't believe he would give me a bad report. And all I honestly, I genuinely don't believe he would give me a bad report. If he said anything bad about me, it would be, I wish she had walked me more because she kept me in that house all the time. She took me outside. Like I went outside like 10 times a day. I ain't gonna lie on that. She took me outside. She tossed the ball around 
all of that but she didn't walk me as much and i wish she had took me out this house a little bit more i wish she hadn't have been so afraid to have me around a lot of other dogs or what have you but other than that she treated me like gold she didn't yell at me she didn't put her hands on me besides to hug me to kiss me she spoke blessings over me she didn't cuss, cuss me out she didn't speak evil over me she didn't call me bad or anything like that i believe that if he had to give a report on me that would it would be a good report and i believe is what people can the report people can give about you in the background is the true report i genuinely believe that you know the report that people can give because when i go back to this aunt for example i didn't have anything to give her at the time and based on the condition of me and my siblings there was no reason for her to believe that we would turn out to be stellar creatures because like I said, both of my brother and my sister were both juvenile delinquents and they would agree to that. They were juvenile delinquents. They were acting out and I wasn't on a great path myself. The only difference between me and them was I wasn't, you know, going to jail and doing crazy stuff like criminal activity. Um, me, on the other hand, I had a boy problem, you know, so there was nothing that showed her. And especially it's not like my parents went out and did something great in their lives. So. There was nothing in my life that made her feel like I was going to grow up to become um, a stellar human being. She could have easily believed that we would have been crappy people, you know, that we would grow up and my brother and sister would constantly go to jail. And I would probably be, you know, uh, somewhere laid up with a disease about, you know, it, she could have easily believed that regardless of what she believed, she, she still treated us very well. I had another aunt to get in the car with me and this is before i really started having sex um i don't think i, I, I before i started having sex period i've been molested before but before i started having sex i was a teenager and we were going to visit my grandmother and i i, I remember this this aunt we put this uh salt and pepper cd in and um i was in the back seat my mom was driving and that's one of the things i never understood about my mom was that my mom would let people say bad things about her children i always questioned her about that always i always i whenever we got away from the people i used to question her sometimes in front of them because i would tell her mom they will not let you say anything bad about their kids why do you let these people talk bad about your children and my mom's answer would, and my brother and sister would attest to this my mom's answer would be you know sometimes people are just crazy you know i don't pay them no attention oh what have you and i'm like no you don't let people talk bad about your kids i didn't understand the concept of a curse then but you know, if I had known then, I would have been like, Mom, why you let people speak, you know, spells and curses over your kids or what have you? But I just asked her, I said, Mom, why you let people speak evil of your kids? I would never do that. And I was like, I said, oh, Mom, I said, say something to her about her kid. Ask her this. Ask her that. I guarantee you. And I remember we were in a car. I was in the back seat. And there was this part that came on about, um, and it was like this little short snippet. And, uh, you know, before, because it was a tape, it wasn't a CD, it was a tape, it was a salt and, pep, sep, salt and pepper tape. And they had this, I think you call it a monologue. It was a monologue of this girl. She was talking about, she had, had sex with her boyfriend. And it was before the song came on. She was just talking and she was crying. And she was saying she had sex with her boyfriend. And now she found out she got HIV and all that. And I remember the aunt, she turned the radio down. She said, that's Tiffany right there. That's going to be Tiffany right there. That's going to be Tiffany. And I look like, what in the world? <laughs> I No, I'm not going to get no HIV. And I praise the name of the, the, the living God that it never came to pass. And I, of course, when I got older and I realized curses, I specifically targeted that curse and canceled it out. I canceled those words. It's not that people, you know, here's the thing. 
believe it or not, when people speak evil of you, they want it to come to pass, not always because they hate you, but a lot of times because that's what they believe. And for them, they want it to come to pass so they can say, I told you. I did not. I did not. I, I, I was the first one to call it. See, and I, I was the first one. See, didn't I say this? Could I have called HIV in my youth? Oh, absolutely. When I became, when I got out there and started dating, I was dating. Yeah, I, I yeah. So I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna go there. I'm gonna say that um, I had a healthy dating life. I dated somebody, and we were sexually active. That was it. Oh, what have you? I was one of those people that believed in condoms, but I was also a person that didn't always use a condom. You know, there were times where you know condom wasn't present and trusted you know he looked healthy enough you know that, that the dumb stuff but it's the grace of god that protected me it was god that protected me from catching hiv or any other disease i thank god for that uh but i'm saying that to say that that did not come to pass right that did not come to pass because that wasn't from god and at the same time had it came to pass would that un have been happy i don't think she'd be happy that i was you know had almost pretty much signed a death certificate for myself especially that time i think now people can live with hiv and live a long and healthy life or what have you if if it's caught before it becomes full-blown aids however if i had caught it i think that she would have been more rewarded with being able to say i did not tell you because people like to believe that they have insight into your life that nobody else has did not tell you see that i told you i told you when i got older I pulled away from all those people. When I turned 15 years old, my mom, if she was here to this day, she would tell you when I turned 15, I had a change of heart as it relates to people. I started realizing that the only people I want around me are people who genuinely care for me. I don't want people around me who don't care. I really don't because I'm not trying to have fake relationships. And that's why when I came into the church, when I came, that's why it's hard for me. I don't want to be that Christian that fakes a relationship with anybody. Like, I don't want to be that Christian that walks around and smiles at a person. And I know I don't like them and I know they don't like me or what have you. Now, of course, you smile at people and you know they don't care for you. But I'm, I'm saying I'm not one of those people that want to take a picture and go hang out with them as if I don't think that the person like, I, you know, I, for me, I want the relationship to be genuine. I don't believe in it. I think that. Fake relationships do more damage to the body of Christ than anything. Because in the world, people learn, don't fake it. You know, people will tell you in the world how they feel. Uh, but I think in the church, a lot of times what happens is we start trying to put on this facade. And of course, you got to have hard conversations with people. But this is what's needed. Uh, and I'm saying that to say, when I turned 15 years old, like I said, I had a change of heart. When I turned 15 years old, 15 years old, I don't know what happened to me. I don't know. What switch went off in my mind, but I entered a different season. I can genuinely say that was a different season because all of a sudden I shedded the belief I had about family. All of a sudden I shedded it all. That stuff just started coming up off of me. All of a sudden I started thinking to myself, I want people around me who are cool. Like if we good, we good. If we not, I'm not faking it. I literally start closing doors on family members, family members that I used to look up to. I suddenly stopped doing it. When I tell you it was a suddenly moment, it's significant to me because I look at that stage and I was telling this to a sister in Christ of mine the other day. I said, I look at some of the stuff I did as a young lady and I literally say sometimes, how does she know? Literally, I, I look at some of the stuff I did as a young lady and I was telling her about a relationship, for example, how 
I had dealt with a guy. I don't want to say he was a narcissist, but a guy, I remember trying to break up with this dude. And I realized he started, this dude was stalking me. And I realized it, was, it had gotten really dangerous. And this was no ordinary stalking case. This was not a thing. I realized that this guy had the potential to harm me. And, um, we had already broke up. I had broken it off with him, but he wasn't accepting of that. And I remember I was 21 years old at the time. And I remember coming up with this concept or coming up with this idea. I got to make him feel like he broke it off with me or, you know, that he, you know, I got to make him feel like we're getting back together. And he's breaking up with me, me so I can, so he can leave me alone. And that's exactly what I did. I, I went ahead and accepted his proposition to, to, to come see him or what have you. And I let him go off about everything. And I let him tell me how he felt. Uh, because by this time we had broke up and I went straight into another relationship with another person. I uh, started talking to another guy or what have you. And yeah, he was not feeling that he saw the other guy, all of this stuff. I ain't going to go into that story. Cause that's not what we're here for. Uh, but one of the things I remember about him is that he was, you know, he he had taken his so the breakup so hard that he had his mother calling my mother, you know, and this guy was significantly older than me. But and I didn't think anything about the relationship because I was at a stage in my life. I literally listened to the old ladies around Mississippi, the old folks that used to tell me you're too young for love. You're too young for this boys. Your age ain't trying to be serious. You know, what have you? They just want to play. Uh, but you know, you're too young for this. And I, I listened to, and I learned to categorize guys. Like whenever I started talking to a guy, I would put him in a category in my mind. I, and when I say category, I mean, it wasn't that I would automatically have a category that popped up in my mind, but I knew whether or not that was a serious relationship or not. It's something similar to what men do. You know, I knew that, okay, if we can go far in this relationship. And this particular guy, first, he was too old for me. Uh, he was too, he was 14 years older than me. And I, I figured, okay, well, I'll talk to him because he doesn't look his age, one. And then two, you know, he was just really insistent. He was really insistent. I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. So I started talking to him. And all of that. But I remember one day I was sitting in a car with him. We had went over to this place um, by the Mississippi River. And we just parked the car. We were literally just sitting in the car talking. And uh, while we were sitting in the car talking, I knew he was divorced. Um, I knew that he had children from his first marriage. All of those things. And I wasn't, I hadn't categorized him yet. Because, you know, the relationship was still relatively new. I hadn't categorized him yet. We talked. We have spoken on the phone. We had been on some dates and what have you, but I still hadn't had a chance to categorize him yet because we hadn't talked long enough. So while we were sitting there, I remember I I was being seductive in that car. I'm not going to lie because I remember pulling up my shirt. I think I had a skirt on. I don't know. I was showing off my little belly or what have you. I remember that part. Uh, but I also remember um, him telling me, you know, we started talking about his uh, previous relationship and all that. And he told me, that he was never going to marry again, he said, because of what happened between him and his ex-wife. You know, the whole child support thing. He had, you know, two kids with the ex-wife and, you know, the whole child support thing. And then plus his ex, the ex-girlfriend, they had just broke up and he claimed she cheated on him. And they had a child together and he wanted a DNA on that child and all of that. And he said he didn't want no more kids. He told me he didn't want any more kids. And he said he'd never marry again. And I will never forget these words. I will never forget the thought that I had. You probably heard me say it before. I literally thought to myself, well, then you're a toy. I put him in the category of a toy. What does that mean? That means I'll have fun with you. I'll hang out with you. All of that. But 
I'm not going to take you seriously. Like, I don't think of this as a serious relationship. I don't think of this as going anywhere. I literally put him in that category. That meant that I was guarding my heart. And this is what guys do. Uh, but I was broken. Uh, I'm going to call it what it is. I was broken. I literally said in my head, well, you're a toy. And again, what I meant by that, I meant I'm not going to put my head, I'm not going to put my mind uh, into thinking that something would potentially come from this. I'm not going to put that in my head that something will come from this. I'm just going to have fun because that's what a lot of the old folks, they said, have fun, baby. You young, enjoy yourself. So I, that was my thought. I'm going to have fun. So from that point on, when I saw him, we went places together. We went out of town together, all of that stuff. But it was still in my head. I'm not taking him seriously because I want to get married. I want to have children. I knew that about myself and I wasn't about to sacrifice that on the altar of his bitterness. I wasn't about to sacrifice that. So when we broke up, it was because first and foremost, I had already made up in my mind. But secondly, did he have a chance to redeem himself from that category? Yes, if he had had a change, a change of heart. But I wasn't trying to give him a change of heart. I didn't try to talk him out of that. I said, okay. Because that's just how I've always been with people. Is that I won't talk you out of how you are. I will just adjust my expectations according to what you think. So if you feel like I'm a nobody, I'm going to adjust my, my, my expectations of you. If you feel like that I'm not worth your time, I'm going to adjust my expectations. I'm not going to sit up there and try to convince you that I am not who you think I am. Because that's a choice of yours. And if you really wanted to get to know me, you would try, right? You will, you will put the effort in on him. And then you see, you know, because then I'm going to meet you there. But because he will, you know... Because he made that decision, I made my decision. Uh, long story short, we broke up because he did something I asked him not to do. I felt that like was disrespectful. He didn't listen. I ended the relationship. Probably that same week, I met somebody else. <laughs> I met somebody else and I intentionally went after this particular guy. You know, I was a young lady and you're young. You just, yeah, you're a hot mess. You're young and broken. You're a hot mess. I met somebody else. Anyhow, long story short, to fast forward it. He saw me with the new guy. Um, in his mind, he thought when I broke it off with him, he thought I was just mad. He didn't think of it as an actual real breakup. He thought of it as, okay, she just mad at me or what have you. But it was an actual breakup for me because you got to remember, I put him in a category of a toy. And um, I started talking to this other guy. I hadn't had a chance to categorize him yet. You know, I was just talking to the guy. We were hanging out and what have you. I really liked the guy. I was really attracted to him. However, um, I... I hadn't had a, play, a, a chance to categorize him because I wasn't silly enough to put somebody in a category just because I wished that they could be in that category. And I think that this is what differentiated me from me and my friends. This is why my friends used to be hunched over, crowd over dudes. And I used to be sitting there staring at the side of their head like, what do you feel? Like, why? And why are you allowing yourself to feel that? Why did you go into that relationship? This guy really made it clear that he wasn't ready to settle down. Why did you even entertain him beyond that spot or beyond that or what have you? But one of the things I think for me, I think what, what, what the difference for me, and I think you have to hear this, and I know I've kind of deviated from the topic, but I think the difference for me, when I look back over the course of my life, I've always listened to the authority figures. Honestly, I'm being honest. I, when I look back over the course of my life, some of the most significant things that happened to my, in my life is because an authority figure says something to me and I believed them and I moved accordingly. When the older women told me that, hey, young men, 
uh, your age, they're not trying to settle down. They're not trying to get married. They're not trying to have children. They're not trying it, you know, for anything like that right now. They're, they're trying to settle down. Don't you run out here and fall in love and, you know, think because, you know, they're still young. They haven't sorted their royal oats yet. So you have fun. When they said that to me, I took that for what it was worth. I took it. I'll never forget this lady that worked with me. I came to work one particular day. I was working at Walmart. And this lady, and I'm not saying it was good with good advice, guys. I'm just saying that that was the way that I was. That's my point in that. This lady that that worked with me, it's a beautiful woman, always had, you know, um, guys bringing her stuff. You know, she seemed to be financially sound, even though we were working in, you know, retail. But I remember I came, I was bragging that day about, you know, I got a date tonight. I got a date tonight, hot date or what have you. I don't remember who I called myself about the date. I just remember. I had a date that night, you know, and I was, it was early in the morning. We were at work and I was talking about, I had a date and, um, she overheard me. She heard me talking. And the next day I came up in there and I was, I started making, you know, jokes about how I was hungry. I was like, um, I needed $5 to get me something to eat. And I said, I was going to call, I think I was going to call my mom. I don't remember what, but I remember this woman, she was 40. She was, uh, I think 42 years old. She walked up to me. She said, that's what's wrong with y'all young people now. And I was like, well, she said, wasn't it you yesterday bragging about having a hot date and you ain't even got $5 to get yourself nothing to eat. And when I tell you, I felt like a $2 hoe. I'm going to be, I'm, <laughs> that's what I felt like. I felt like crap. Now, did I have sex with the guy the day before? No, but I'm saying I felt like crap because what she made, the point that she made to me was she said, she asked me if uh, something happened. That's what I remember. I don't remember who I went on a date with, but I do remember she asked me if anything happened. I remember telling her no. And I was being honest. And she was like, but I bet he tried. And I'm like, well, you know, guys are always trying to, you know, move in for a kiss or something. She said, she said, my point is a man is not afraid to let you know what he needs or what he wants. And she said, y'all young girls be too afraid. That's why y'all be walking around. She said, you bragging about a hot date and now you come to work and you ain't got $5 to get you something to eat. And when I tell you, I felt like a piece of crap. I really did. But it changed the way that I thought it, it, it honestly did. It changed the way that I thought I stopped being afraid to say, hey, can I get $10? Can I get $100? Can I get this? Or can I get that? Um, I, I did take advice from another older person who told me never take something from somebody you don't genuinely like. I did take that advice. And I'm not going to say I followed it through 100%, but cause I, I can think of times where I didn't follow it through, but for the most part, I thought, you know, I took that advice or what have you. I'm saying that to say, listen, guys, there are people, there are kids out there that they will grow up to be, you know, be magnormous, amazing people. Right. You want to be mindful that you're not walking around making them feel like they're stuck in the season that they're in. It may look like that. And it may be true for some kids. Some children are truly stuck. And, you know, what you see right now is what you're going to see in the future. And it's sad to say, but maybe what if you could be the catalyst for that change? What if the way you see them could be the thing that motivates them? I think that when it came down to my aunt, I think that my aunt's perception, I looked up to her. I genuinely looked up to her, you know, and I think her perception of us and because of how she made us feel, she didn't make us look, feel like bad kids. She just, she acted like a nun. I think that that has a lot to do with the road I decided to take in life because this aunt is incredibly driven. She went on this road. She's a go-getter, right? She's a go-getter. And believe it or not, children will always pick out a relative 
that they want to be like. My brother unfortunately picked out one of my uncles and I used to get mad at him for doing that because he used to mimic the stuff. These little crazy catchphrases my uncle used to say. My my brother started mimicking it and he would actually, you know, he would, I would see him uh, mimicking my uncle or impersonating my uncle or pretending like picking up, trying to act, act like him. And I would be like, oh, you're trying to act like un uncle such and such. You're trying to act like uncle such and such. And I would go off and I would be like, be you, be you. I remember being in the backseat of a car going off on my brother about that. You know, I just remember yelling, like, be yourself. And he would try, he tried to ignore me, act like my, my uncle. He started looking at the window. He started sucking his teeth out of my uncle. And I'm like, ew, ew. My mommy, and you know, in the front seat, y'all stop that back there. I'm like, no, he back here don't know how to be himself. I'm saying, true, some of the kids that you come in contact with, they'll never be nothing. There won't be anything. They may, be, be, may even be worse than they are right now. But sometimes you can be the change a child sees because everybody may be treating that child like that child is heading down the wrong path. And it's true. But sometimes if you're the person that treats that child, you know, like, hey, I see the potential in you. That child will remember that. And when that child gets older, that child will a lot of times take a different path because of how you treated them. Or they may even take the path that you took because of how you treated them. And that child will never forget you for that. That child, on the other hand, if you treat a child like crap, if you neglect a child, if you treat a child like they will never be anything or accomplish anything in life, that child may go do something great and they'll never forget how you made them feel. And I don't care how much you try to use this Christian ease to try to make them feel like they have an obligation. If they happen to grow up and they're Christian, they got an obligation to, to be your friend. It's not going to work because they'll learn to forgive you from a distance and you know i've learned that some people the only way you're going to stay in forgiveness toward them is to keep them at a distance i think of a lot of my family members that i have no choice but to love from a distance because i know for for a fact up close and personal if i let them close man you talk about somebody that will have to constantly keep healing from the trauma and the trauma and the craziness you know i was looking at one of the skits i like to watch and i, I saw where what was the country wine skit and i was watching the skit today and his his girlfriend on the skit you know um she takes him around to her family house and her family you know you, you of course you got the the shiesty folks all of that stuff and um she you know one of them tries to invite himself to country wayne's mansion you know what he's like hey we got to come over there and then the rest of them they start oh yeah we going over there and he trying to put a boundary up but in it you know then his girlfriend starts looking come on just let him come on and i know i tell you here's what i said i would dump her I literally said that in a moment. I was like, I would dump her because if you don't respect my space, you don't respect me. That was my first thought. And I know it's just a skit, but I'm just saying the character. I'm like, I would dump her because if I've done all this hard work to get toxic people out of my life, you're not going to turn around and then bring them back in my life. What kind of, what would it look like me for me to deal with my husband's toxic family when I don't even deal with my own? What would it look like for me to be in a relationship, you know, get married to my husband and deal with his toxic family members when I don't deal with my own? Now, I'm not saying that you have to cut them off. I am saying that you have to place boundaries and you have to solidify and enforce those boundaries. If you don't know what solidify the boundaries mean, it means to make them solid. That means that there, there can be no flexibility in the boundary because if people found a soft spot on a boundary, they would constantly use it as a door. So I would have to say, hey, you can't cuss me out. For example, let's say he got a relative that feels like, hey. 
uh, he my cousin or he my brother or he my and it's typically women that feel like that he my 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 so you better no 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 that ain't how that work he is his own person he's his own individual and i expect him to set those boundaries and say hey that's not okay you're not gonna do this or what have you if you want to have a relationship with me this is how things have to be you know you have to let people know that that's not an option uh, the ultimate goal is to have a relationship with family the ultimate goal is but at the same time you have to put the relationship on good terms, not necessarily your terms, but I would say God's terms. That means that you don't let people in your life. They can freely just pop up at your house when they want to. They can steal from you. This is the stuff that used to happen in my mom's house. She had family coming to her house and it was just straight up steal. And, you know, she would tolerate it. And she said, oh, that's just how they And I'm like, man, bump that. <laughs> you ain't going to have nobody coming to my house stealing from me. And all I'm going to be talking about some is that's just family. That uh-uh, no, 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 no. I will call 911 and like hey she stole this out of my house you know and i'm not playing it and what have you but you don't have to tolerate that this is what i've learned and i want you to hear me when i say this people who tolerate toxic family members typically a lot of times they don't go as far as god wants them to go because they have not forsaken those things that have forsaken god and let me make sure i clarify that because i'm not saying that god is requiring that they distance themselves from family because that's i think that's where the problem comes in is that a lot of people think that when you talk like that what you're supposed to do is say okay this cousin ain't saved this brother ain't saved this sister ain't saved this auntie ain't saved this uncle ain't saved so i can't have no relationship with them that's not what you do what you do is you just simply draw up boundaries and you solidify i mean there is no give to those boundaries i'm not saying you can't have grace for people uh but i'm saying there is no give for example one of my rules you can't pop up in my house that's a rule that's disrespectful i don't pop up at nobody's house house you know that's a that's a rule of mine you can't just pop up in my house i could be in my house chilling you know with a nightgown on real comfortable i ain't got no plans you can't pop up in my house two when you come to my house if you're a relative if i invite you over you can't just walk through my house there's only select people that you that would ever have that grace and it's typically people that you know have been coming around and you have a good relationship with them or what have you and it gets to the point where you know your relationship with them is so intimate and typically that could be like a parent um sometimes it could be siblings you know it depends on uh, the closeness of your relationship it can even be aunts and uncles depending on the closeness. but the majority of people 90 percent of people will never get that particular freedom so that means that when they come into the house they come into the living room and they wait for you to say have a seat and then they have a seat if they say can i go to the bathroom yes it's back here but they don't have the flexibility or the permission to just go into your refrigerator or what have you these are boundaries these are boundaries and i think a lot of times what we're learning in the black community is that a lot of our families don't understand boundaries and so consequently it makes it hard for us to have relationships with them because when you start communicating your boundaries with them they take offense to it and the first thing they say is you think you all that or you think you better and it's like that that's not the case we have to lose that label and understand that when people grow then people have to set certain boundaries according to the height that they're in they have to set certain boundaries in order, in order for them to grow they have to have those boundaries in place anyhow that's my spiel for today just wanted to share with you uh, just this moment I had, like I said, when it comes to the aunt, I see that she texts me back. I'm about to go listen to it. Uh, but just this aunt, just my thought about this particular aunt and how amazing of a person she's always been toward me. And my mom passed in 2018 and she's still such an amazing picture in my life. I love her dearly. You know, I, we don't talk that often, but you know, when we do talk, we talk and what have you. And her love has been consistent. And I've never forgot that. I have never forgot, you know, how she made me feel. I have never forgot 
how beautiful she has been toward me. I've never forgot how, you know, she embraced me and, and she loved on us. And I, I've never forgot, you know, just, I remember literally, I remember the moment standing in the living room. She called us up in there because I was so used to because the other aunt was more frequent with visiting, you know, coming from out of town. And I had got to the point where there was, I think, a, a bit of expectation or trauma that I had picked up from that aunt to the point where I didn't expect anybody. Like if somebody was coming from out of town, I didn't expect them to spend money on us. It wasn't an entitlement thing or anything like that. I just pretty much felt like, hey, you're going to feed your kid. You're going to feed your kids and that's it. Oh, what have you? And I had made peace with that. But instead, she would always take me. And I think a blessing is so much greater when you don't expect it. Right. Uh, but she would always call us to the living room. And I specifically remember I specifically remember like I, I feel like it was yesterday her calling us to the living room and saying, hey, I'm about to go to McDonald's. What do you want? What do you want? And she was like, okay, uh, write it down, write it down. Somebody get a piece of paper, write it down. She said, okay, you want a Big Mac combo? Okay, write it down on a piece of paper. What? Okay, what you want? You, y'all, Okay, y'all make sure. And she would always do that. And she, like I said, she always did that for us. And she never made us feel like we were bad kids. We were trashy throwaways. Oh, she never made us feel like that. Now, we had other relatives that did, obviously. We had other relatives that did, and they, they pretty much saw us according to the state that we were in. And you know what? They showed us their hand. They showed us how they felt about us. They showed us, and they, they treated us like we were crap or what have you. And they talked about us, you know, and sometimes even openly talked about us because they knew my parents weren't going to do anything about it. They knew my mother would not defend us. They knew that my parents would just allow them to do that because especially when it came to my mom, my mom was incredibly passive and she not only was she passive, but she was family oriented. But what they, they came to realize was that I, I'm not my mama. And I think that that's where the shocker came in with a lot of them. Because a lot of times people think that you're going to be just like your mama. I'm not my mama. I love my mama dearly. I appreciate my mom for everything she has ever done. I promise you on that. But I'm not my mama. <laughs> I'm not my mama. Meaning I don't have my mama's way of thinking. You know, I don't see family the way my mom saw family. I don't sit up there and think that I can change family members. Some people I feel like are way too toxic. Right. Some people I feel like are way too toxic to deal with or what have you. So that's it. That's my spill for the day. Uh, I love you guys. I hope this this bless you and I hope that you take this and run with it. Think about a kid in your life. Hopefully this brings to thought a child that's uh, currently in your life. And you can remember that, hey, that child, you know, while they may be broken, while they may be a hot mess or what have you, they're going to grow up and they're going to remember how you made them feel. Am I saying that I'm perfect? No. I got a nephew right now, for example, met him when he was um, about nine or 10 years old. And I can tell you right now, that particular nephew probably wouldn't have anything good to say about me because I haven't had much of a relationship with him. Why haven't I had a relationship with him? Because when I met him, he was okay. And then eventually he started doing a whole lot of toxic stuff or what have you. And I'm not going to lie. My family history came into play and I just started pulling myself away. And not when he was nine, he was, a, I was an active part of his life when he was nine, 10, all that stuff. But what ended up happening was as he got older, as he got older and he started getting into those stages of rebellion and doing a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah, I did. I'm not going to lie. I pulled, I pulled myself away and I regret it now that I'm older. Um, but he, he was going so deep into a whole lot of crazy stuff that I just really didn't want to be bothered with it. I didn't want to be bothered with it, but I realized that that was how, you know, it was my little family trauma, what have you. 
um, back then. But that's neither here nor there. But I'm saying that's something that he would never forget. So I'm showing you that I'm not a hypocrite in this because I'm saying that I, at the end of the day, I got family members that remember how I treated them. My little sister's one of them. She talks about it pretty much any time I would talk to her. She would talk about how I made her feel as a kid. She talks about, you know, uh, I, I mistreated her. I, I did this to her. I did that to her. And while, you know, I, I, I didn't... I, I didn't do it because, you know, I, I hated her. I did it because she was, I, you know, I was broken one and the child was spoiled. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> and she, she hates when I say that. And that's her biggest trauma with me. Right. Her biggest trauma. She said I always called her spoiled. But she was. She was. But there's things that she can say about me that are true as well. So I'm saying don't be hypocritical in it because at the end of the day, people are going to still remember. Anyhow, I hope this message bless you. I love you and God bless you.